That was a halftime show, and I have Diddy even liked it. Like, we was crip walking over here. You wouldn't believe it. Whoa! <laughs> Before they get in your business, be in charge of your business. Own it because it's your business, your business, business. Handle all of your business, value all of your business. You say you're minding your business, my business. What's up, everybody? Renee Montgomery here, tapping in with Montgomery and Company. And on today's show, listen, today's show's a little heavy. We got some things we want to get off of our chest. We're going to talk about Joe Rogan, and I have a whole stream of consciousness that I want to say about it, but I didn't know that this needed to be said, but now I know it needs to be said. It is never okay for white people to use the N-word. There's no context where they should use it. There's no reason. Not even singing a song. I know the songs are dope. You want to sing the songs, but just, you know, bleep that word out, okay? We're also going to bring it to the pod. You guys know that there's topics that happen on the internet that we want to talk about here. We're going to talk to Ward Dunn, co-owner of the Atlanta Falcons, Dr. Kenza Gunter. She's coming through. Uh, Listen, it's going to be a heavy show, but tap in with us. Okay, so it was probably about 1.30 a.m. I had came home from studio, couldn't fall asleep, and I was watching Trevor Noah talk to India Ari about the Joe Rogan situation, and it was very interesting, very honest, very real. India Ari was talking about how she made a commitment to be honest. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'm like, made a commitment to be honest. And she went on to talk about her hero and how her hero was Maya Angelou. And that when she got to talk to her, she said, she asked her questions like, you know, like how can people carry on the legacy? How can we continue? And, and Maya Angelou was like, listen, I came from a time where telling the truth could get you killed. And I still did it. And so what people can do as a service to themselves is tell the truth, whether people are going to receive it well or not, tell the truth. And then she went on to say, this is my truth. And so I'm going to tell it. And she said, I believe that Joe Rogan is a racist. And she said, that's my truth. And, And then she went on to explain why that was her truth. And she said that if you do something one time and you don't know, that's one thing. But if you do something multiple times and continue to do it and still claim you don't know, that's actively doing something that you know, but you're claiming you don't. And so she said, since the beginning of time, it's been understood that the N-word was a word that was unacceptable. It's not, this is not new information that's being given to anyone. Everyone has always understood that this was an unacceptable word for certain people to use. But Joe Rogan is claiming that he didn't know he couldn't use that word because he was using it in a certain context. And, and then, you know, they were talking so much that Trevor Noah, he couldn't even toss the break because she was just a stream of conscious was just coming out. And then when we came back from break, she went on to say how she got a gazillion death threats. Like, this is live. Obviously, the shows are live. And she was saying how her DMs were full of supporters of Joe Rogan. But the problem that she was having was the way that they were supporting Joe Rogan was calling her the N-word. They were being misogynistic. They were throwing harsh words at her all the time. And she said, if Joe Rogan is claiming that he gave an apology and that he's changed his ways. Then why is his followers, if, if they say that they're following him and that they're behind him, well, why are they supporting him by calling her the N-word? And why are they supporting him by doing things that he himself claimed that he had disputed? And so Trevor Noah went on to talk about how, well, how can people have redemption then in our society? If you're labeled as a racist, how can you come back from being a racist if you're labeled? And he was like, because you can't have honest conversations if once you're labeled as something, you can never recover from it. You know, if you're labeled and he went on to talk about different labels that you can't remove, like criminals in our society, he says they'll come out of prison and we don't necessarily think they're rehabilitated because they carry the criminal tag with them everywhere. They have to report it on on all their job applications. So, you know, it was a very interesting conversation because a lot of times people have a hard time disagreeing and people have a hard time understanding other people's truths. But what I took from what India Ari and, and what Trevor Noah was talking about was the aspect of redemption and how does somebody redeem themselves? I don't know. You know, Joe Rogan, he didn't necessarily give a lot of effort and the conclusion that she had from that was instead of taking that situation where now her mentions are full of death threats, which is honestly ridiculous. I've received the same thing. I get 
the craziest messages all the time about people telling me they're going to kill me. That's a weird feeling. People should know that that's a weird feeling. And so when you're thinking about what Joe Rogan did and when you're thinking about his following 11 million people every time he talks and what he's spewing out is I know he may think that it doesn't matter, but. There's 11 million people now that think it's okay to use the N-word in context. And so as we go on and you talk about these platforms, we have one right here with MoCo. So for me, my truth, I would say, would be that we have to get better at agreeing to disagree. And then we have to get better at giving grace to people because how do you redeem yourself? I don't know. But whenever he was talking about it and whenever they were talking about it, it poses the question. And so we're going to have a conversation about Joe Rogan later in the show. But I wanted to just talk about that because I was half asleep, half awake. And then when I woke up, I was like, what an interesting conversation about racism, about redemption, about just how we are as a society, mental health, all of it. We don't know how to handle it. Look at the Ben Simmons situation. He came out and said, yeah, I do suffer from mental health and I am going to have to still take some time. I think that took a lot of people like by shock, like, wait, he's still not okay. He's he's in Brooklyn now. Isn't everything better? There's a lot of things we don't know people are going through. There's a lot of things that we don't understand with people. And so I think as a society, it's it's interesting because we, we have to learn how to give grace more. That's what I took from it, that giving grace is something that our society still has to figure out. Oh my gosh, so he was talking smack the previous game to go into the Super Bowl, beat the Chiefs, as we know, and so the Chiefs started a roast fest online of Eli Apple, and when I tell you, they said SoFi Stadium is smelling like apple pie, he's getting roasted out there, and you know, their accounts have hundreds of thousands of followers. One of the accounts said, at Eli Apple, I wish you were a better corner. Otherwise, the game-winning touchdown wouldn't have been scored on you. Like, and then those tweets went viral on viral on viral. So we've heard a lot of talk about mental health. (laughs) We've heard... You know how sports is one of the most high pressure jobs. We perform right in front of the world for them to judge. It's you know I've had a I've had bad games where you come and look online and I know I had a bad day. My coach let me know I had a bad day. My teammates held me accountable for having a bad day. And then when I go home, I have to go online and the fans are telling me about how bad of a day I had. So coming off a of Super Bowl, it's interesting because we're all looking at the Rams and love to see Aaron Donald get a championship ring is all he was missing saw grown man tears and you won't see him more often than in championship games we saw Odell Beckham Jr who I was so happy to see get a touchdown before he got injured in the championship game again grown man tears that we love to see so we see all of that on the good side of things you know and the winners of the championships but when we talk about mental health and the people that lose in those big games Joe Burrow didn't come out of the locker room until you know hours later he was one of the last to leave we know that Jamar Chase is a big time superstar a lot of expectations and they're young but you know mental health involving sports Eli Apple went viral the wrong way after the Super Bowl and people don't realize that you know I don't know yes athletes are confident but I don't know if people realize sometimes that stuff has an effect I was thinking about younger athletes now now I know when you uh, were playing and you were younger we prayerfully didn't have to deal with a lot of mental health issues but because you didn't lose a lot but when you did lose you you know you uh, had your own little routine (laughs) I mean but you had your own little routine where we knew not to bother you you had to go through your own uh, personal way of getting you know over the loss so you know and some people might not have that way of getting over the loss themselves so you know they might need to talk to someone else but you know I always inquired are you okay and you said I just want to be left alone and so you know that was fine if that's the way you wanted to deal with it but as I said a lot of people might not have an outlet for the feelings that they have when they lose anything a game a job or whatever and that also is like that skater the olympic figure skater her name was zoo yi and she had a breakdown after falling you know a couple times in the olympics and so weibo which is a chinese like social media 
platform, they end up banning like over 2000, probably plus more. But the last time I looked like 2000 plus accounts because of the, the abuse that was coming across social wow. media because of she because she fell and then she was crying. So it's it's a lot. And you know what? Yes, people do process loss differently. And, and I can only imagine four years of training no one's seen you in four years because that's the thing like you know with basketball games we have a whole season so you might have had one bad game or two bad games or you could have five but you have so many other games that you know people know you're a good player over the course of the season over the course of the games but then four years for one moment and you you know you better lose yourself in the music the <laughs> yes. moment you want it you yes. better never let it go you Hi, only get one shot. come on now <laughs> so listen you lose it in that moment and it's not just your team because you are your own team it's the whole country Ooh. the whole country is the one Mm. So. Yeah. the whole world actually whole world but your country is more so your team so they're the ones that are going to be on your back like you know what she's been trained for four years and this is how she goes and represents our country because you know we do it with our own our own people like when the um, men's basketball team wasn't winning or the women's basketball team wasn't winning yeah. everybody's like you know what they've been practicing all this time they play all every year so they go out there this is how we gonna get beat yeah. we're America this is how our ego expectation is put on them oh yeah Americans we expect to win everything yeah. in the Olympic it don't matter like there's we don't care as fans yes I Absolutely. Yeah. So I can only imagine falling in one moment and that's done. So, <laughs> I mean, do you think it has something to do with maybe like different coaching styles or I don't know? I mean, because it seems like new age athletes are, are just being trained a little differently than athletes back then. And like you said, Snug, you know, maybe, you know, athletes just are not equipping themselves the right way to handle loss and and mm. you know and maybe now people are just paying attention a little bit more to their mental health than back then i, I wonder mean, what it is i'll tell you what it is it's access to people seeing abuse because we True. back back when people were you know before all the social media it wasn't up to the second like somebody could fall or somebody's being abused in a locker room and somebody pull out their phone to the minute the entire yeah. world knows what's going on. You can go viral it right could, away. Right away. But like back in the day, it was all hearsay. It was like, oh, you know, he was in the locker room. He was yelling at her and he threw something at her. But who's going to speak up? And then is she going to speak up? Because she's with the famous, you know, trainer. And this person is supposed to be the best. And this is what you've yeah. been asking for. So I think it's also access to social media. Social access, media, man. Access to videos, access to cameras, access to everything that makes mm-hmm. it totally different. So now people are like, oh, y'all didn't believe me. They didn't believe me back then. They're going to believe me now. Right? Yeah. And so you have, you know, you have an outlet more so to to put it out there so now you don't I mean, have so to would be you strong. say that that alone takes a toll on people's mental strong. health like because people don't have privacy so that's true i just think that people know that they don't have to take it mm-hmm. back in the day you kind of felt like you had to take it like it was your word against this trainer point. and they were world renowned and they got results however they got their results mm-hmm. and so you know now you're like Look, I don't have to. I don't have to do like you don't. You can't talk to me athlete like this. Athlete empowerment. It's, yeah, it's it, more it's so. all upon the athlete empowerment. But it's also too to that point. Social media makes people an overnight star, and social media can also you can go viral the wrong ways on social right. media. That's the thing. It works both ways. The things that you can love about something can also make you hate it. And even going back to the Super Bowl, athletes have to have their own pick me up because kind of to Snook's point. Yeah. When I'm mad about a loss, sad about something, angry about something, leave me alone like that. Like (laughs) my family knew that off rip. Like, let me be. I'm going to sit in my thoughts, replay all of my mistakes in my mind process how I cannot make those mistakes again and then once I've gotten through all of that processing I come back and act like a civilized human basically because I don't handle losing well but to that point Joe Burrow you know he talked about how he was determined not to let Sunday's loss overshadow what the Bengals accomplished this season and he had a quote that said and quote obviously it stings but we had a great year didn't come out this last game the way we wanted it to but we still have something to celebrate so he even had to do his own pick me up 
to the media. Those were, and those were great words mm-hmm. for for his team. It was great exactly. words. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because if you would go look on social media, you know, Joe Burrow has a teammate that's going viral for the wrong reasons. You know, they're saying it smells like apple pie in SoFi Stadium. You got to remember, this is off after a loss to a Super Bowl. So I'm sorry, but he had, he invited that. I, well, <laughs> I mean. So I, you know, I'm going to say it. I'm going to be the bad person in the room. You invited that. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying. So that's what I'm saying. Some of this is people bring it upon themselves and then other parts are people just being over the top and being hateful and evil but if you mm-hmm. if you open your mouth what are you, you referencing be able- that he brought it on himself for the people that may not know oh, because he was running his mouth before he was making all <laughs> yeah so much to say when they beat the chiefs well i'm gonna say if you can't stand the heat then don't come in the kitchen you, you can't get out the kitchen <laughs> where they say all the women kitchen. athletes are boy exactly. you better get out our kitchen you better get you can't the heat. i mean there. you talking about that was apple pie i'm sorry you brought that on yourself now i feel more sorry for Joe than I do for Mr. Apple Pie but I'm just saying you know it's that's the point is is that yes and on his point you know he can't get mad don't get mad don't get mad because you you no, said what Cole, you said you something though it's like don't pick the fight no. and then get mad that somebody else ended it don't be the bully and get beat up oh mm. and what did I always tell you all about that what did I tell you all about that don't start nothing if, if, you, if you do finish. start you better finish it that's right <laughs> you better you better finish it but my point is don't be the bully and get beat up that's the problem <laughs> and that's, that's what literally. in a Christmas story is going on here don't be the bully because I mean, and and to your point of what Joe said, I agree with what Joe said, and also the media has a little bit to play with that too because they know you lost, but they yeah. ask some of the dumbest questions, oh, some the of the dumbest questions, questions you ever, ever. Because what they're trying to do is get a rise out of you. They of want course, you to act to get up. a sound bite. Let's just be for real to get a sound bite that they can, you know, that'll top all the other sound bites yes. out there, and yes. you'll be yes. on the top. Yes, like Russell Wells. I can't even say it. No, Westbrook. Oh, Russell, Russell. Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. Every week, when they were losing, they would ask him the dumbest questions, and then he wouldn't say anything. Wasn't he the one who just said fine? He'd be like, and then he would answer everybody and get fined. So, <laughs> yeah. So, right, just write to me, you waskle wabbit. Waskle wabbit. You waskle wabbit. But, but that's my thing, you know, because this has been so, so the media has always kind of been like a little bit of a bully when people lose and things like that and even like when people have like their emotional moments they run it and run it and run it this has been kind of an ongoing debate on Twitter but I mean but just just to that point like what do you think is is different like why do you think people are paying attention to it more so now like before we had like outliers like Marshawn Lynch saying I'm just here so I won't get fined you know so that's already kind of a little bit paying attention to your mental health like look I'm not in the mood to answer these questions I'm saying no I'm setting boundaries yeah. Right people here. didn't respect it right but now it's like like before it was kind of like oh well, you know he's being kind of crazy but now it's like now more and more people are starting to pay attention to their mental health so like what do you guys think that is what do you why, why do you think that more people are paying attention to that kind of thing but see before like i said things impacting their lives now yeah but you can't even get away from it so you have to yeah. have you, it's going to force you to do something because like i said back in the day you got roasted it was just on the media it was just mm, media true. now yeah. you know there's you more can go coverage home and just right. scroll yeah. and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll so it's not only outside it's inside your home it's it's if you don't turn your tv on you wouldn't know but don't look at your phone but the tv's roasting you too mm-hmm. because we watched for the nba all-star selection and just to just i know what you're saying cole but to that point we watched on national television lebron james kevin durant Charles Barkley and the whole group pretty much roast James Harden for being the last pick oh, in yeah. the All-Star. I yeah. mean, we watched it live, a roast session live where LeBron even put the clipboard, yeah, above, he put his the face. clipboard over his face. It's, yeah. That's a normal locker room scenario, but here's the problem. Now we all watched a locker room scenario happen on national television. Uh, I don't think that's it. I think, think that's it? I think literally it is. If I walk in my house and, turn, and don't turn any of my TVs on, mm-hmm. I, I have, back in the day, 
I had no idea what was going on in the outside world. But now your phone pings <laughs> oh, yeah. and pings well, yeah. and pings. So you don't have to have your TV on to like, oh, I'm not going to watch me because I know they're talking about my stats. I know. the. But then your phone mm. is like pinging. And then oh, you yeah. can't even go to like, man, did you see? Then somebody go text you, man, did you see? They on you in this. It's like you can't get away from it. No, it's that's not, true. It's no, not it's true. true. Somebody has an outdoor ticker that's talking about it or is going across the ticker or is you're in your car. In your car. So it's a, There's a constant. It, and to that point, point you know don staley had talked about this involving Aaliyah boston in a sense yes. of you know sports is always going to play the highest highs and the lowest of lows especially for the highlights and the different things mm-hmm. and Aaliyah boston had had you know she was sad i listen we all cried a thug tear when we lost in the ncaa tournament so Aaliyah boston when her team lost you know she cried which is completely normal but that's the clip that keeps getting used over and over and over yes, and over yes. again. And so that's the problem that fans are having a problem with. And again, it's not that you just see it online to Cole's point, but if you get roasted on TV like James Harden did, the clips online are even worse because now you're a meme and people are yeah. getting creative with the ways to roast you. So and it's tagging not like you the, and tagging oh, you. Oh, they're so, tagging and tagging you. you so like yes. you, you are literally you like, OK, I'm not going to look at the TV. And then your phone is like. At, they're tagging you in it. It's yeah. just tagging you in it. So it's, you can't get away from it. So people are like, you know what? I'm going to have to shut down this account. We've seen it. they like, you know yeah. what? People are just Deactivate being ridiculous. I'm deactivating my account because issues. I can't yeah. take it. The trolls or you know, this. So we see that's how people have had to go that far. That's the point is when they get obsessed with the fact of what's happening to me online. I think that's when people are like, okay, enough is enough. NFL running back Warwick Dunn, who has an ownership stake in the Atlanta Falcons, and also he's built over 145 homes for single moms with homes for the holidays. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Listen, we're here with Warwick Dunn. The resume speaks for itself, but you played 12 seasons in the NFL, which is a huge accomplishment because two seasons, I think, is the average. So you, my friend, were ahead of your time in everything and when it came to brand building. Most athletes aren't even thinking about philanthropy, investments, and building their own empire. And it's a generational thing over here with us, but what made you think differently? Just going back to your plan days, like what made your mind think forward? Well, you know, just being the oldest of six and my mom always pushed me to think about other people, think about the kids, take care. And I was really having adult conversations when I was 14 years old. And I just think when I lost my mom, I was really forced to grow up and make decisions. And I had to think about the future instead of the here and now. So when it came to life, budgeting, just anything that was dealing with my family, I thought about the future instead of just today. And I'll tell you, when I was playing, you know, for business wise, I was asked, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Or when I was trying to manage money with my financial advisors, how do you want to, you know, what do you want to do today? What type of life do I want to live 30, 40 years from now? And that's how I plan. And that's how I really try to put myself in a path to be successful. 
I retired in 2021 and it was really to think about, you know, the future and what I could do, not just in that 2021 season, but, you know, in future seasons. And when you look at athletes across just the whole map, you think about a Kevin Garnett who he had the money, he had the influence, he had everything that you would need to be an owner, yet he still didn't become an owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so it's not as easy as just having the right things. And so I'm curious, what was your journey to get ownership in the Falcons? Well, I, you know, I built a relationship with uh, Arthur Blank, who's majority owner. And I just think over the course of time, when I first met him, we didn't even talk about the game of football. We talked about life, like the impact that we both wanted to make in the city of Atlanta. And for me, I just built a really good relationship. I communicated with him often. I mean, a lot of times I would call him before I would call the coach. A lot of times we were going on. So, you know, I just built a really good relationship with him. And basically, he asked me on the practice field one day, it's like, you towards the end of your career, what do you want to do after football? You want to coach? Do you want to do it? I was like, no, I don't want to do any of that. I'd rather just, I just pointed up top. I'd just rather be up there with you. So when I got released by the Falcons and he just, you know, we had a conversation. He was just saying, hey, I would love to call you a partner uh, when you're done playing this game. And I had I still had no idea what that meant. And believe it or not, once I retired, he had to, like, convince me to invest because, you know, you. What? Yeah. I mean, we had three meetings. You know, uh, we we had meetings. He cooked dinner for me. He was just like, listen, this would be a great opportunity for you. But you got to think, you know, I wasn't the highest paid player at my position. So, you know, I wasn't making, you know, 10 million a year, so forth. I mean, I was just trying to manage what I made, but I was good at managing money. So I put enough in that it didn't really have to change my lifestyle a lot. So that was still a lot of money, you know, to do that. But he gave me an opportunity. And, and it, believe it or not, in, in being an owner in the National Football League, you know, you have to be invited. It's not like this is something that they're just opening their door and you just come in. No, you have to be invited. He invited me. So I'm, I'm honored to be a part of um you know, the franchise. Yeah, the franchise, the home team, the Falcons. But as we know, in ownership groups, it's not a game that you could just pay your way in. It's the big boys club. You have to get invited in. So I'm just curious what your experience was like. What things did you expect? What things did you not expect? Just what has your experience been with the Falcons? Well, I would tell you now that I'm a part of the meeting, so I've I've tried to really learn more about how we make our money, you know, how the NFL makes their money, the team makes their money. And I actually did like a, a small internship, you know, with director of marketing. Just I, I went into every field. I even spent time with the GM at the time to really understand, like, oh, how do you go about scouting, you know, and, and so forth. So I spent time in different areas of the organization to really start to, to get a good understanding, a good grasp of it. I was sitting in the owner meetings first off, and, and a lot of things were just flying over my head. They was using big words, and I'm just like, Phew, I, I don't understand. <laughs> so I, I made a decision to actually go and get my master's in business because I said I wanted to make sure I have a business acumen that one, my other partners can respect because these are businessmen. They've been doing it for a long time yeah. and I'm an athlete, so I want to earn their respect. And I felt like I'll go and get my MBA from Emory here in Atlanta to earn their respect. I didn't tell anybody. I, I got in on my own merits and so forth. I didn't ask for a favor to get in. So I got in and I told them and they were like, why didn't you tell me? I could have called somebody and we could have got you in a little easy. I was like, that's not how I wanted to go. But I wanted to be able to expand my mind so it had a better understanding of, you know, business, you know, in, in their terms. So I, I, I did that and I just think it helped me overall. Just really get a good grasp of it. And it is a business, you know, a lot of guys take it personal. And I, I mean, I remember when I got cut, it was personal to me. I was just like, all that I brought yeah. to the team, it is a business first. Nothing's personal. And I think sometimes as players, athletes, we don't really understand that concept early on. But, you know, it's a great learning experience for me. No, yeah, you bring that up. And as athletes, we give, we give our blood, sweat, and tears to the sport. So it doesn't feel like business. But 
the first time you get traded or when something goes very business-like, that's when you start to realize, yeah, this is business. And and speaking of the business and just in general, you know, you start to see a lot of athletes now playing past their prime. You know, you see a Diana Taurasi, a Sue Bird on the women's side, and you can even go back further to a Taj McWilliams Franklin and somebody like that, a Rebecca Brunson, who was killing it past that prime age. You know, what do you think about players now playing past their prime because you played 12 years in the NFL. And so I'm just curious because you played way past the normal life expectancy of a football player. So what are your thoughts on players playing past their prime? Well, when I, when I look at football specifically, you know, they just don't practice the same training camp. is not the same. When I was in playing, we had two days for not just two weeks, sometimes three weeks, right? Today, they have no tour days. I mean, they may have a tour day and it's a walkthrough and a semi walkthrough. I mean, it's just a lot different. So they don't they don't bang as much as we did, uh, I think, when I was playing. So just because of the concussion and all those things, yeah. they're trying to take care of their bodies a lot more. And I think if I played in this era, I could have played a lot longer than 12 years. I mean, it's just the wear and tear of everyday grinding, I think, wears on you as an athlete. That's the the big difference from when I played in today's game. They don't practice. The time at the facility is a lot different. The off-season is a lot shorter for them. For us, a month later, we were at the facility and we were training at the facility throughout the whole summer. So we didn't, you know, things are just night and day compared to when I play and, and what's going on today. So the game has evolved. And I think that happens in all sports. No, you said that's actually true because you talked about the trainings different. And even to that point, I had a conversation with Coach Ariema one time and I was just asking him, like, do you guys still train the same or things still the same in that aspect? Because I know our training was was tough and it was brutal in a sense of you had to get through it. It took work to get through it. And that's kind of the mental toughness that you had to show to get through the workouts. That's how hard they were. But you showed your mental toughness in that aspect. So I definitely could see how training over the years has changed and almost had to change. And you starting to see the players pro life extending because of that. And, you know, you talked about it. You probably could have played longer into your career had you not had those two a days and those long training camps. But, you know, I don't think you're doing too bad for yourself, considering that you established Homes for the Holidays program in 1997. And since then, you have assisted over 150 single parents, over 300 dependents in Atlanta, Baton Rouge, Tampa and Tallahassee. First of all, who does that? Who does that? And I mean, you're on your Oprah vibes on the you get a house, you get a house. And so I'm just curious, like, how did all of that start? Well, I can tell you uh, I'm not Oprah. We don't give anything away. Right. That's what I tell people. But this started in 1997 and I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I was just a rookie that just wanted to uh, relive, you know, the issues my mom was going through. I just wanted to live through my mom to help other families or other kids not go through what I went through as a kid and create that stable environment at home. So we started this program in 1997 and after that first year i was just like you know what this is crazy i mean they're making a big deal we just helping with a house i i didn't really understand the magnitude of it but you know once i realized that this is something i want to do i, I went I, next year i did it at home in louisiana and then after that you know i just felt like i needed to go to every city that I, became home for me and now we're actually in uh 15 states you know, 24 markets. We're we're actually almost up to, we're trying to reach 200 coming up. So That's beautiful. So wonderful. Beautiful. So wonderful. Beautiful. Uh, we're about to come up on 25 years of this program. So Wow. Congratulations. It's been pretty, pretty good, but we've grown overall. Where we're now, we not just financial, I mean, um, Homes for Holidays, but we have financial literacy called uh, Count on Your Future program, where we really try to incentivize families to start saving money. Invest in themselves, you know, budget. And we also have a program that's called Scope. Love that. Where uh, we try to educate families on healthy foods and, and build their own vegetable boxes in their backyard to grow their own vegetables and stuff. So quick meals, healthy meals, you know, invest in yourself. That's basically for me. No one has given me anything. So I just feel like, you know, we have to 
you know, push people to help themselves. So when I say on the count of your future, if they invest $500, we will invest $500 in you. So now they got a savings account of $1,000. We're doing the little things, but we always tell people nothing is giving, nothing is free. You have to earn it. We all have to work for it. You have to do your part. And I promise you we'll do our part. I completely agree. That's why I use the term moments equal momentum because everybody adds in and pitches in to create that momentum. And, you know, you can just see sometimes when you give someone something, they may not appreciate it as much as if they worked for it and you assisted them. So I love everything about it. We talk about moments equal momentum all the time. And, you know, you're out here changing lives, honestly, with that. Like, you know, even for you to they deposit 500 and you give them another 500 you match it and now like you said a thousand dollars in their account that's them building with you it's beautiful and you're changing the lives of people and so many families have went through your programs you've even had kids that have now grown up that are professional athletes that's went through your program and pro sports you know to that point there's a lot of things in pro sports that are shunned in a sense of you don't usually see it and in pro sports mental health awareness is coming to the forefront but that's something that in the past we haven't necessarily seen a lot of but you have an autobiography called running for my life and you talk about battling depression your whole life due to your mother's murder how does it make you feel right now seeing mental health at the forefront seeing that stigma pretty much being erased and athletes are speaking out now about their mental health well honestly I think for me, I'm, I'm an advocate for mental health. You mentioned my book. I was afraid to come out early on and talk about mental health just because of the stigma of it, right? I mean, being an athlete, you're supposed to be big, strong, and, and you're not supposed to have a weak side to you. But at the same time, I'm human and I needed assistance and help. And, and if I didn't hear a story in a locker room, I probably would have never started going to counseling. So I started going to counseling in 2003 and six months later nine months later my teammates can say they can see a difference in me i just started talking more and being more active and engaged and i just grew and i kept this a secret for for a while but i i got so confident that you know i was searching for peace in my life so i went and sat down you know with the guy who shot and killed my mom i just felt like i needed that release from him, because I didn't want him to have control over my life anymore. So for me, mental health has played a big part. Like today, I advocate for that. I started a program called Betty's Hope in 2012, uh, where we wanted to go back to Baton Rouge and do mental health, you know, counsel kids that are in school that are having these challenges. And we did this program for three, four years, and I had to suspend it because of funding. We didn't, we ran out of funding. But now it's crazy because we're getting ready. I'm going to Louisiana to have a meeting to try to jumpstart this program again just because of the pandemic. Now I, I have better, more stable support financially so that we can really push and help kids not experience what I went through because I didn't go to counseling for 10 years. Think about it. I was just coasting through life and, and you know, relationships. And, and I wasn't close to my teammates when I was in Tampa. I wasn't, you know, I, I was just focused, one track mind of, you know, get your education while you're in school, play football, family. I was in Tampa, didn't hang out, didn't really party, didn't do all those things that you do when you're enjoying yourself as a young kid. So I was messed up a little bit and I was depressed. And I think counseling really helped me. And now I advocate that we shouldn't be afraid to tell people or share that, hey, I went to counseling, you should go, right? I mean, you have successful, you know, rich people, white people particularly go all the time. And that helps them balance their life. You know, now I advocate for a healthy mind, healthy body, healthy community. So we want to be able to help people have a, a better balance of life. I love that. And, you know, there's a term that I recently heard called mental wealth. And it goes on to talk about, you know, your mental health 
is your wealth? And you kind of hit on something in our community because there's the mental health stigma in athletics, but there's a whole nother layer in our black community where mental health has a stigma there as well. So I love that you met it head on. You tackled it. You kind of dispelled the myth. You leaned into the fact that you were getting help for yourself and that you're better for it now. So you also talked about family. You're the oldest of six. So I'm just curious, what does generational wealth mean to you? Because we talk about it a lot on this show. There's different families and cultures that they strive for that. That's their goal. So I'm curious, what does generational wealth mean to you? Well, it, it I've learned so much about generational wealth and what home ownership can means to a family, what having a stable house means to a family. But we have to get to the point where now we're not out buying, you know, let's buy Phantoms, Gucci, all this stuff. Material things really don't matter. I think we sometimes idolize that stuff a little bit too much. But if we really think about the type of future we want to give our kids, we want them to experience things, to understand what the history of our country is and, and, you know, the things that were wrong, that were great. But what can we do to be better? And you pass down that that wealth is not just about money, it's knowledge as well. Right. So we need to pass down all of that to our kids. And when you do that, it's learning those little things, you know, financial responsibility when it comes to why not have a life insurance policy? You know, you got to ensure that if something happens to you, that your stuff is your money, your, your the house is passed down to the next generation. A lot of times in our society, black communities, you know, what is life insurance? What is this? What is that? We have no idea. So I think it's important that we educate each other the importance of the little things, life insurance, right? Being financially responsible and home ownership, you know. They also don't understand that even though you may own a home, if you don't pay your taxes, they can still come and take it from you. That's called money management. And I'm also preaching too. I feel like I'm always preaching, but I'm preaching about, you know, home maintenance. You know, a lot of times we may purchase something. We don't really understand that, you know what, something breaks in the house. You got to get it fixed and people want their money now. They don't want to wait for it. You can't make a payment. So it's it's just like anything else, you know, car maintenance every month. You got to put gas. Eventually, you got to do an oil change. You go buy an expensive car. You know, can you afford to pay that bill? Trust me, it's it's a lot. You know, the maintenance. So when you passing down that wealth, you're passing down knowledge. It's not just leaving funds, but you want to leave your kids something that they really understand how to, you know, um, balance life, you know, needs versus wants. And, you know, when I say pass it down, I mean, yeah, you want to pass down your belongings, the house, the land, all those things. But we also got to pass a lot of knowledge because I think that's that's really going to be the game changer for them in the future. All the things they should be teaching in school. You imagine if they actually teach these things in school? You know, they teach us a lot of things, you know, in school and we forget about it. Right. When, when we're in politics, for an example, they teach you, you know, the levels of the government early on and they, they do that early on. But as we get older, we don't think about that. We don't think about, oh, well, actually, the local government really decides on how we live our lives every day. I preach that all the time. It's things like that, that we learn things that just not emphasize, you know, consistently because it goes in one ear, it may sit there for a little bit, then it goes out the other. It's just, it's human nature. We just have to continue to, I would tell people, stay open-minded, always being open to learning and hearing different ideas and concepts and thoughts. I love that generational wealth is something that we talk about a lot. I love that you talk about it's not just the money, it's the knowledge, it's the experience, it's passing down everything to the next generation. Thank you for passing down those nuggets. Keep preaching because you're doing the work, you're walking the walk, you're talking the talk. Thank you so much, Warwick Dunn, for coming on here. Love what you're doing. Love homes for the holidays. Love your financial literacy. Love that you're helping people invest in themselves. Love everything about it. Thank you so much for joining us here on Montgomery and Company. All right, have a great day.
So we talked to Ward Gunn about representation and why it matters, and that kind of leads us into our next conversation involving race. Joe Rogan is on the menu. Joe Rogan, Spotify said that they removed 70 episodes where he used an offensive N-word, but I later saw that there's 110 episodes that are going to be removed for offensive language, not just racism, but other offensive language. So 110 of his episodes are reportedly being removed. We don't have a for sure yet. And Spotify wanted us to know that it wasn't them that was removing it. It was Joe Rogan that was removing his own episodes because now he knows that it was offensive. Now he knows that it wasn't something he should have said. His whole defense was that he was saying it in context. So he thought he was allowed to use the N-word if it was in context. Now I heard Jamel Hill released, Jamel Hill is unbothered. She released her podcast and she talked about this very thing because she has Unbothered Network on Spotify as well as her podcast, Jay Hill is Unbothered is on Spotify. And she addressed the whole thing and I kind of liked her stance on it, but I want to hear your guys' view on the whole thing, how Spotify handled the situation, what do you think about Joe Rogan? But Jamel said that the easiest thing that she could do is just want to remove herself from the Spotify situation, but she's not going to do that. She reached out to the Spotify execs. She told them that something needs to happen from this, that there needs to be a black Joe Rogan, basically. $100 million was given to Joe Rogan to have exclusively his content on Spotify. And she said that there needs to be that black Joe Rogan keep that same energy when it comes to the money that's given to black artists and given the money that's given to black creatives in general. So basically, instead of saying we're going to cancel Spotify and that she's going to remove her content from Spotify, she said that she wants Spotify to keep that same energy when it comes to financials behind black creatives. There was a statement that she made. It says, end quote, in case it's not understood, there is no context in which it is acceptable for somebody white to say the word, none, zero. Don't sing it, don't rap it, don't quote it from historical text, don't quote an author's use of it. You do not get to say it, period. So that's from Jamel Hill and Jamel Hill is unbothered. So you guys, I just want to open the floor to hear the thoughts on the Joe Rogan situation, compilation, Spotify saga. Mm-mm-mm. So you gonna just we just gonna blow the place up, right? We just gonna set it on fire. Right. We gonna set it on fire. That's, that's I mean, energy. I think that's what has to happen at this point. I would think that you know, even he himself, who said that the compilation sounded terrible when put together like that, that's what he said. It, it sounds bad. I don't necessarily know what his stance is, honestly, because I still think that from watching that, I don't know if he still. I don't know if he believes. I mean, I don't think that people will need context for that kind of video. You know, we were talking about this when we saw it. People are still saying, oh, but in what context was he saying it? It doesn't matter what context he was saying it in. What more, you know, proof or evidence or whatever you need, you know, what? how much more do you need? You don't need no context for that kind of stuff. You have it on video. <sighs> I'm about to be the worst person in the world because... I say too much and I say too much, <laughs> too close to the bone. Well, let me just say this. Number one, what he did was a backhanded apology. Whenever you justify your incorrect or wrongdoings in your apology, you mean nothing by the apology, number one. Number two, whenever someone who has a racist content or context says something, they say, well, you know, I was in context of saying that black people say this and y'all saying the rap songs and y'all saying this. <laughs> and if you think about it, and this is the part that a lot of people want context about the word, the N word was only said by those who were actually saying in a racist manner. So what happened was, is we couldn't prove that we were being treated differently, that we were being treated racist. But that word was the very definition that we could say he said the word. So that's what it is. That, that was our only only way of saying that this is what it is. So now what you want to say is because we've taken the word back. 
we use it the way we want to use it and you're no longer allowed to use it. You're mad. You're mad because you're no longer allowed to use it because now the black people have turned it around to make you look foolish. Yeah, we can use it how we want to use it. And I, I hate to say it. I don't use the N word that much. <laughs> yeah, but it's, right, We can though. use it how we want to use it. That much. That much. I mean, but still, it doesn't matter because the thing is, is that at, back in the day, that's the only way that we could prove racism. Mom. Wait a minute, Snookabooka. Wait a minute. Yeah, I mean, that was the only way we could prove racism was that word. Mm -hmm. So now you want to say, well, they're saying it. So why is it so bad? It's like because you made it bad. It was never supposed to be a bad word. You made it bad and dirty. So I don't whatever Joe Rogan does. I'm over it. I don't care because the thing is, is that he's only doing this because now he looks bad. He even says it. Uh, You know, even me looking, it looks bad. So if if you hadn't seen it, you were good. He was good. So, no, I don't, I don't, this whole Seth, Ro- Seth, I'm sorry, Joe Rogan. I'm sorry, Seth. Joe Rogan thing. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. This we whole, love you, Seth. We sorry, love you, Paul. Seth. We love you, Seth. I'm sorry to even put y'all sorry, in. Sorry, Paul, because Paul, Paul is an ally Seth and Seth Doppelganger. <laughs> so, sorry, Seth and Paul. We did not mean that no, this is I'm about No, I'm sorry. Joe. I'm sorry. And retract my statement. This thing with Joe Rogan is just a, it's like everything else. It's I got caught. Now I want to apologize. I'm really not that way. And I'm going to learn from my mistake. And it's the backhanded the apology yeah, did it. Bad, like yeah. and, and Roy says Seth's an ally. Yeah, Seth yes, Rogan Seth, is an ally. Seth, I apologize, We're sorry, apologize, Seth. apologize. If, <laughs> Wait yeah, me for apologize. you to catch the yes. stray. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Masa, what you say? I know, Snook is ready to pop off. I'll just pop off real quick here about it. First of all, um, you know, I've been hearing about Joe Rogan for a few years now. And the problem I have with is with the whole get up or whatever Spotify. Now they knew from the very beginning that these, uh, this kind of language was going on. This was going on. They had no problem with it because those people who were building up their base of viewers liked it. So as long as they liked it and they were tuning in and he was building it based on that rot he was talking, it was okay. But then when something else comes in and we just found out about them, you know, this just came as a side story yep. to the other story. It wasn't the main story yeah. that got him upset. It was, you know, this thing with uh, you know, with Willie Nelson and Grande. Ariana Grande. Grande. Yeah, the, the musicians removing their music. And so then, well, you know, he oh, did some other things. Too, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know, he also used that N-word. Nobody's ever really said anything about that. So now, you know, I, I heard, I read that uh, The Rock well, he was going to uh, he was going to support him. Then he found out about that. Well, whoa! Yeah. So it just shows that we should really pay attention to the, the and, 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 and Let me just say this: hats off to Dan Lebatar or whatever for putting some people in the in the office who make the decisions about what we listen to. That's very important. See, it wasn't a problem. You know, none of us were in the room evidently when they decided to air. Joe Rogan and he was using the n-word or whatever no problem with it but then now that the world knows that they said it was okay or it was okay they did it so now it's a problem so it we it, you know it goes back to we have to be in the room where decisions are made so that the right decisions are made when they need to be to quote Hamilton we want to be in the room where it happens the room where it happens the room where it happens yes but that is a very important thing when you talk about representation and everything like when people say the word representation people like yeah 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 we need representation the nfl needs to hire black coaches yeah 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 we hear you okay like yeah but y'all don't hear why we need that this is why we need it because serena said the word microaggressions and i don't want people to just let that fly by microaggressions (laughs) means the fact that they had to remove 70 70 episodes means that this was happening over time, a long period of time, these things were going on. Maybe somebody along the way should have been like, huh, do we want to get his whole compilation? Do we want to get his whole discography? Because has anybody listened to the whole thing? That's another question because- It wasn't until it was a a compilation that people actually paid attention to it. Well, I should say more people, because it's probably people around the office that probably knew that he was doing that for a while. I saw things that said, well, you know, he's having honest conversations and that's fine. I think people are confusing 
what's going on. We're at 113 episodes deleted at this point. The point behind what we're saying is, yes, Joe Rogan can say whatever he wants to say. The problem is that a group of execs thought it was reasonable to give a man saying the N-word 70 times and now deleting 113 episodes. The problem is that you thought it was good to give that man $100 million. It's not what he's saying. That's why everybody's like, we don't want to mute people. We don't want people to not be able to talk well, and say what they want to say. I want to mute say. them. That word, that N word, it made me want to mute. I tried to mute some people back in the day about that. She said permanently mute them. I tried. I personally tried <laughs> to mute <laughs> some people about that N word yeah. back in the day. So. Yes, Snookabooka, <laughs> yes. You tried to physically probably mute some people back in the day. We're yeah, not and, and, there anymore. We're not allowed to do that. But honestly, oh yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even today, I don't know. I'm kind of old and everything, and you know, my my my, I might not pack such a punch like I used to. But I mean, I'd give it a go. I'm telling you. <laughs> Listen, I mean, is that allowed nowadays? At IRL, I don't know, but I think that to Snook's point, if somebody said it to me in real life, I might try to mute them in real life as well. I don't know. I never had it happen to me like that to where it's like aggressively trying to use the word in a negative tone like you dealt with Snook. So to your point, I've never dealt with that. At this point, we're not trying to mute Joe Rogan. It's Spotify, you thought that that was the person that you wanted to lean into to give $100 million. And to Jamel Hill's point, who is that $100 million black person that you're going to give that money to or that black creator? Uh, I think, Serena, you had something. I Sorry to cut you off, but I just, that's the point we're trying, that's trying to be made. To Jamel Hill's point, you know, it, it it's uncomfortable to hear anybody use that word you know not anybody any white person use that word even if it's like in people want to say in in art form or whatever because even now we're watching the Emmett Till show right uh, and women we of understand the movement. we understand women of the movement exactly and we understand that they have to you know that that they have to say the word because it's historical context and is you know and it's because it's, it's an art form and it's acting and things like that but it's still very uncomfortable to hear people you know say that word even if it is in in you know in any kind of artistic kind of you know context that they want to put it in or legal context or whatever just don't say the word and so i don't know in what kind of context he thought that it was okay to say it it's just not okay for you to say in any context i'm telling you that word is the only separation of racism because that was the only way we could prove it so now it's like well i'm going to use it in the context well just say the word I mean, if I say the F word, if I'm cuss, if I want to cuss and I say, I'm gonna say the F word, you know what the F word is. You don't have to say it in the context of saying the actual word. I, I mean, wasn't cussing it's the just kids not okay to say I was saying it in context. Okay. I was saying it in context. You know what I'm saying? But that's what I'm saying. That that's my point is that when people say those type of apologies and say, well, they use it, it's really an anger that they're not able to use it. I'm just sorry. That's the way I feel about it. I personally right. that's and the those way i are feel those little microaggressions yes it is that, you know yes it is that people kind of see as you know people kind of overlook but you know it's not until like like we said that they made this compilation video and it's like oh wow this is a lot you know mm. it's like sometimes you you have to make people see it and and to you know the show that we're watching also that that's one of the points of the show the women of the movement that sometimes people have to see it you know in order to believe it the revolution that's will exactly be televised the revolution right. will be televised i am a revolutionary that is that show. <laughs> like if you haven't seen that either back in there's a lot of stuff going on but joe rogan has gone rogue but is this news to anyone because no. i never watched this show so so I don't know who Joe Rogan is other than a podcaster. Never watched his show. Don't know anything about his show. Don't know anything about him. Okay. So I'm shocked along with everyone else that maybe didn't know him beforehand. But the Spotify execs, y'all don't have an excuse. Y'all paid that man $100 million. Somebody should have done some research. And you know what also, which I'm not going to even say there wasn't. I would be not shocked to say they might have had someone in the room that was representation, but did they listen? Because that's another big problem with corporate America. They'll say, oh, well, we have so-and-so here. They're African-American. They were there when, and that person could be like, look, I told them this was foolishness. Yeah, <laughs> and they still decide to go that way. So I, I mean, a 
lot of times we say, well, did they have reputation? They do. They do just for the personal yeah, sake of saying it. Yeah, but does that representation have the authority yes, or, or the exactly. power? That's, you know, we talk about this all the time in a sense of when I'm on panels, I always talk about like, yeah, you can have that minority in the room, but if that minority doesn't have a voice or doesn't have the, the Or proper, taking notes. They're the person or, taking notes. Or even a lot of times when these coaches get jobs, they get they get the keys to not a Maserati. They get the keys to a hoopty and then they tell them, yeah, make it ride like a Maserati. Yes. No, sir. Like if you look at the jobs and even just because everyone's probably going to think, oh, well, if a coach gets a job, isn't it because another coach got fired because the team's doing bad? No, look at the, the team Steve Kerr got. Look at the team Steve Nash got. Both of those teams were inherited and both of those teams were superstar teams already yes the golden state warriors drafted those players shouts to mark jackson who drafted developed but then steve kerr got all the championships so no it doesn't always mean if a coach is getting hired that they're going to be going into a bad situation it could be a good situation we just haven't seen it necessarily for black coaches and i'm talking about steve kerr steve kerr and steve nash yeah and, and like jamel said you know start them off at the same you know with the same opportunity you know st start a black man off with a with a hundred million dollars to start a network or you know to make some content you know like yeah we, we we have we have a few we have tyler perry he makes you know he he has he makes a lot of content but we need more and the thing is is also with even with that conversation of why don't we have a mouthpiece like that? You know, if we had someone spouting the stuff that they spouted they about shut us how, down. how the oh, whites were doing this three. and whites were doing that and this, it would be like, oh no, they out here talking. He's out there talking about too many people. No, we got we got to shut it down. It wouldn't even get that three. far. Yeah, it, it wouldn't get that far. But you gonna let him go all the way to the edge and hang over the side. Actually, he already fell off the cliff. But you want to, you know, you let you got to that point, and then up. now you're like, oh, and all. Also, wasn't it about COVID? Wasn't it about COVID? Because he was spouting misinformation about COVID. They didn't when care. He was out there killing people. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle <laughs> I mean, of know. in the middle of Times Square. But we're not going to say that. But I'm saying is that they start off with one thing and they said, oh, well, that won't finish him. This will. So that's the kind of thing it was. <laughs> it was like we need they needed one more thing to push it because the misinformation thing about COVID, they were like, Okay, people are mad about it, but not we can't really do anything. Somebody said, Okay, well he says the N word. Now it's like, Oh, he needs to be canceled. He needed yep. to be canceled about the misinformation first. But since this is where yes, you gotta go, this, now we're gonna again, use the micro -aggressions. N word. Microaggressions. Yeah. The word of the day is microaggressions. So I'm sure everyone's familiar with the Apple TV show Ted Lasso. It took the world by storm because it's a different way to lead. I think the craziest thing about Ted Lasso is we're used to seeing sports, sports figures, coaches, GMs, owners in the sports world behave a certain way. Ted Lasso didn't quite do that. And something else that Ted Lasso did that we don't usually see very often is he had a sports psychiatrist that was basically with the team all the time. Well, guess what? So do we with the Atlanta Dream and that sports psychologist is Dr. Kenza Gunter, who we're about to talk to right now. Dr. Gunter, thank you for joining us here on Montgomery & Company because there's a lot to unpack with mental health and how athletes deal with it. And, you know, you can see now with the Olympics and how typically the Olympics are in another country. It's high pressure situations. It's a lot for athletes to deal with. Your friends and family aren't there with you. And even a situation like Chesley Chris where... From the outside looking in, everything looks great, but her mom talked about that, you know, she suffers from high functioning depression. No one would know that from the outside looking in. You can never tell what's going on from the outside looking in. So Dr. Gunter, just as friends, family, allies, how do you check in? How are, do you make sure people are okay? How are athletes doing? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's really a unique situation and I think it's important not to underestimate the importance of offering support and just continuously checking in. Certainly people have their individual coping strategies that they will bring, even though family and friends won't be there. I imagine that they will have the capacity to reach out to them and get that support, but also just continuing to check in, offer reminders about things that they can do to take care of their mental health and well-being while they're there will be important. And so Dr. Gunter, as we 
look at the Olympics and, you know, there's all kinds of talks about Ben Simmons and his mental health. You know, there's been WNBA players like Kayla McBride that's came out and talked about her mental health. But as you we look at the Olympics and athletes and what they're going through, I can't help but think back to the bubble situation because that's where a lot of athletes were triggered. Their mental health was triggered. They felt isolated. So can you just talk about like what are the effects of those type of situations on athletes? I mean, I think that the overall thing was that there was so much going on in the world, right? We were in the midst of the COVID pandemic, like very heavy in the middle of that. And there was a lot of social justice issues that were really emerging at that time and really taking um, priority in terms of what was going on in people's lives. And so I think one, being removed from the environments in which people were comfortable and being put in a bubble situation, that transition was a bit challenging to kind of be taken away from their support systems and places that were familiar. Again, this is a choice that that individuals made. And so just being away from support systems, not being able to access things that they would normally do to cope, whether that was connect with friends, it might even be go for a hike. Like there was not a lot of movement right in the bubble and so just not being able to tap into what one might normally do to cope was challenging and then also being in this kind of confined space where you are surrounded by work all of the time again people chose to come they knew they wanted to play basketball but it was basketball 24 7 like you leave the court and you're still surrounded by your teammates your opponents other people within the basketball world. And so it was really difficult, I think, at times to detach from basketball and like have a moment to just regenerate your energy, kind of rest and recover. Like that was, you had to be really intentional about that in that kind of closed environment. Um, And so I really just think it was helping people to just deal with the uniqueness and the challenge. It's not like the challenge was eliminated. It really was trying to help people navigate the challenge that they were in. We are trying to cope and walk through it at the same time. So just really, just really honoring the humanity of folks. So, Dr. Gunter, I've always talked about giving grace, and that's one thing that I hope that people start to do. I understand there's a competitive nature when it comes to sports, but give a little grace to these athletes, especially the Olympians out there in these high-pressured situations. And I love what you said about everything. Thank you so much for joining us on Montgomery and Company. You're so very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. There's a lot of conversations that I don't know if we're equipped to have as a society because we just honestly haven't dealt with it. We haven't dealt with understanding that athletes have feelings. I'm just going to say that in general because I know we haven't dealt with that because you can see the tweets that people send. You can see the hate that people send athletes. If you knew athletes had feelings, you probably wouldn't send those type of things. And what's going on now in the sports world, we've never seen it as well with athletes voicing their mental health issues and with athletes having these uncomfortable conversations, but they need to be had. And those are the conversations we had today. So I hope you guys, I know we like to have a lot of fun, but I hope you guys stick around with us because we all just need to give a little more grace. But I digress. You guys know it's a generational thing over here at MoCo. We'll see y'all next week. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.